0: You're an assassin.
1: I'm a soldier. You're neither. You're an errand boy. Sent by grocery trucks. Collect the bill. I'm
2: not through with my examination. Sit down. If I seem
0: to be offensive, you may take it. I'm offended. You're offended.
2: This is Speaking Out America. Join us online at SpeakingOutAmerica.com.
3: You paid the money. You paid four bucks. I'll peek it. It's my time now. I do a four fifty show. I said, baby, so you may
2: make a little bread off this tonight.
1: Mm-hmm. A little bit later on, Epic Times, Nan Su will be joining us, some developments going on in China that are certainly worth our attention on this edition of Speaking Out America. I am J.R. Jim Watkins, on our website, speakingoutamerica.com. And we're here for you on the CRN Talk Network, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Then we do a replay at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific, uh, same network, crntalk.com. It's good to have you here, and we're working on uh, a way to get this video so we can have a video uh, broadcast as well as the uh, the audio portion, because this is the, the thing now. Everybody, everybody wants to uh, have the video thing going, you know? We all want to watch. And it's no reason. It's the new media. I mean, look at what Tucker Carlson is doing. Uh, he has proven that traditional media doesn't need to dominate the media scene. And I think you know, John Bright, uh, What is it? John Nolte over at Breitbart brought up a good point about the writer's strike in Hollywood. What's that all about, right? It's been going on now, the writer's strike. Before that, they had some other strike. And um, what it comes down to is that the writers feel like they're getting stiffed because they're not getting paid for streaming, repackaging. You think about the, the media landscape, how it's changed in the last decade. You know, back in uh, the early 80s, I can remember, remember HBO when it first came on, that was the only non, you know, access, public access channel. You paid for it. You had subscriptions and it was kind of a cool thing. And then Cinemax and all these other uh, networks joined. And now we just have a plethora. If you look on your local cable box, if you still have one, you know, you have nine different HBO channels, HBO, HD, HD, one, two, three. Now you have AMC+, Plus. you've got Disney+, Plus. you've got so many different platforms. And you still have 400 channels of nothing on regular TV. But the reason that the major news medias, uh, the major media platforms like Paramount and uh, AMC and, well, Netflix is sort of an oddball because it's its own entity. A lot of these other studio companies like 20th Century Fox what they've done is they've figured out a way to repackage all of their movie catalog. You know, for example, there's a reason why you don't see very good quality, you know, movies. There's a million movies, right? Great movies, great classics going back to the 1930s and 40s. But yet most of the time what you see if you're just scrolling through your cable on the movie channels are old bomb movies that nobody ever saw anyway, I was watching one with Scarlett Johansson the other day from 2002. It was called Eight-Legged Creatures. I'd never even heard of that movie. It had a couple of good stars in it. David Arquette was in it. And it was it was a cheap B, B film. Uh, and But that was all that was available, and that's all that is available now. That's because uh, Paramount and Disney and all these people, they've taken their own movies that they originally produced, and they keep them in the vault. And the only way you can see them is if you sign up and subscribe to their streaming services. Streaming is what's happening now, right? Everybody is downloading their content. They're watching it on their smartphones. They're watching it on their iPads or their desktops. They're not watching it or they've got an Amazon stick they can slide in or their Roku stick, right? And that's changed the whole way that Hollywood perceives their product because it's not just you go to the movies for 13 weeks and then it goes to, to... TV and then on to video. No, they keep repackaging it. And the studio producers are the ones that are making the money, not the writers. But see, what's happening right now, again, as Nolte pointed out, and then we're going to get to the Devin Archer audio tape from Tucker, is that the movie studios don't want to reveal how low their streaming numbers really are. That's what they're afraid of. They don't want their stockholders to know that people really aren't streaming their stuff that much. Netflix puts out a billion dollars a year worth of movies, but nobody really knows how many people watch them. And the reason is because the numbers are low. Usually if you ask somebody, well, what's your ratings? Or, you know, how many people you got listening? If they say they don't know, it's because they do know when they don't want to tell you. Because if they told you, Um, we've got a few thousand people and then you're going to be saying, well, that's not very good. That thing must not be very good. So what the writers are doing is they're forcing the hands of the Hollywood producers to divulge just how much of their stuff is worth on the open market. And the truth is it's not worth that much. Certainly not enough to give all of those writers a pay raise. So there's more product. There's certainly more stuff out there, but it's a wasteland. It's a wasteland of product. It's like you go into those Walmarts and they have those DVD bins. Every one of those movies probably ran maybe $2, $3, 5000000 million to produce. And now where are they? They're sitting in a bin at Walmart. You can get them for $1.99. Too much. It's a commodity. It's too much commodity. So I have a little bit of sympathy for the writers, but hey, you know what? Uh, there's not that much good product on TV anyway, so it's not like I miss them. I mean, I can watch Law & Order reruns for the next 30 years. I'm still watching Seinfeld. <laughs> anyway, the big news. There's a lot of, a lot to this. It's 11 minutes long. We're going to play some of it in this segment and then the next segment. But this is fascinating to me. Watching the Devin Archer, and we'll get to the Trump indictment part two a little bit later on. But for right now, I want to focus on something that the mainstream media completely avoided. Devin Archer uh, gave it all to Tucker. And he's got part two, I think, later. Here's a a couple of minutes. We'll play a couple of minutes of this. And then we'll have some analysis and then we'll play play the rest of it. It's Tucker Carlson on Twitter, or X, with Devin Archer talking about the relationship with the Bidens, Joe Biden in particular, with his son Hunter, and what's it all about here? Uh, we'll play the whole thing without interruption. Again, it's, it's, it runs about 11 minutes, so we'll have to play the first part in this segment, and then we'll roll with the conclusion of it in the next segment. So here's the beginning of it.
0: So you worked with Hunter Biden in a bunch of different businesses. Um, what were the skill, the specific skills that he brought to clients?
2: Well, at the end of the day, he, you know, he had a career in Washington. Yeah. Uh, graduated Yale Law School and had a very big network in, in D.C. and brought that know-how and understanding of D.C. and ultimately the Biden brand. The know-how. So as far as I could tell,
0: he wasn't doing legal work. Correct. I mean, he wasn't in the counsel's office at Burisma, right? No, no. So the, the network and the Biden brand sounds like the, the kind of key component of
2: Absolutely, what yeah. he was
0: bringing. Yep. Um, do you think that he would have been in those businesses, not having a business background without his father being in a government position?
2: It's hard to speculate in, in those regards. I mean, yeah. I think when we initially met and, uh, and he talked about his advisory business, his business that needed to transition from lobbying to advisory and the interest in private equity, it seemed, uh, you know, it seemed like a new and interesting network for us to expand our business. Um, whether he could have, you know, been in that position, it's, it's hard for me to speculate. Right. But obviously, the brand of Biden, you know, adds a lot of power when New are adds vice president. For sure. And there was a
0: time, maybe 10 years ago, when private equity, maybe like AI now, was just one of those terms people were throwing out, I'm in private equity. Right. But the mechanics, having done it, coming right. from a business background yourself, are kind of complex. Absolutely.
2: absolutely, Yeah. No, it's a complex business. It um, takes years of training. But again, they're, the initial idea around the business is they were going to provide you know, the government insight and an additional network to raise capital and then you know, deal with regulatory issues that you might have at the corporate level. Right. D- regulatory issues. Exactly.
0: OK, so that would be more his area. Right, that would be his space. Right. But d- did he have a, a sophisticated understanding of regulation, do you think? Um, I think that he led a team that had, had, a, had a sophisticated <laughs> <laughs>
1: OK, because
0: I lived in Washington a long time around a lot of regulation. Also a very complex
2: area. Absolutely, absolutely. I think there's, you know, you got to be an expert in knowing the guy and he was the guy that was the expert in knowing the guy. He was an expert in knowing the guy.
0: And who was the guy he knew?
2: Uh, Well, he knew a lot of people, but obviously there was some familiar, you know, his brother, his father, uh, uh, some of his his father's siblings. So he he knew a lot of people. And and obviously I know you're pointing to, you know, the father being the key relationship.
0: Well, no, I'm just trying to get a sense of, Washington is not a money town. Right. You know, people don't aren't in business in Washington for the right. most part and most people don't have business skills that I've noticed in 30 years of living there. Um, so really the business of Washington is is selling access. That's what it looked like to me. Yes. Not just under Biden but like Yeah, no, I what think that's do. I
2: mean I think that's the one of the like core misconceptions. I mean, it seems like when I, you know, understanding a regulatory environment means selling access at the end of the day. Yeah. And,
1: and and we'll point out here that this is an interesting aspect to all of this because in the Swamp's view, everything that Joe Biden does is status quo. It's what they do in Washington. That's all that people do in Washington is they, hey, I know this guy and I can connect you with this guy. It's all political favoring. And now that they've turned, what did he call it, private equity lobbying is now fundraising, and it's influence, it's peddling influence. So this is nothing new to Biden. This is nothing new to probably half the people who are in the House and in the Senate. They're peddling influence all day. It's a dirty business. Politics is extremely messy. It is a filthy, rotten, rotten to the core business, and yet it permeates, it's the stink, the odor that permeates Washington, D.C., so it's, it's not so it'd be acceptable for Hunter Biden to believe that what he is doing is simply what everybody else is doing in Washington. Why am I any different? Why am I being singled out? I'm sure Joe Biden feels the same way. Influence peddling. It's nothing new. But it's still illegal. More to come in just a moment. You're listening to Speaking Out America. I'm Jim Watkins. Welcome back, Speaking Out America. We're listening to the Tucker uh, part, uh, D- Carlson interview with Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business associate. It was released uh, on social media this week, and it's, it's very interesting. Let's get back to it here. This is uh, the uh, about six minutes. We'll roll as much as we can. We also have Nan Sue coming in from the Epic Times in the next segment. to talk a lot about this. Biolabs, you're about this biolab in California. Uh, sponsored by the Chinese, so we'll get to the bottom of that. But now let's continue on. They're talking about how everybody in Washington seems to be in on it. How
2: I interpret it, and I think that's how most people on you know in Wall Street, whether they admit it or not, interpret it. Yeah. So we're gonna we've got a complex business that intersects with government. We need a guy who knows it. Right. How do I you know deal with getting a guy a visa that needs to come over for a business deal? Right. Call our lobbyist that knows the guy in DHS or used to work in DHS or you know, in Customs and Border Patrol or the people at the embassy in state, they they might be able to help. So there are very like tactical elements that are regulatory and compliance and governance that you have to go through. And you got to know the guy that right. worked at the old agency that now has the lobbying firm that can go back to the agency and, you know, get, get things put to the front of the line.
0: So the reason I'm asking this is because, it's not to give the Bidens a pass, hardly, right. but- when people say, well, there's some question about whether Hunter was trading on his father's name, if you live in Washington, like, that's the whole city right there. Right.
2: right. I think mm-hmm. you you know the answer to that. At the end of the day, right. so he had the best but, advantage to do that because of where he was. And, you know, we thought that when we went into business, this was a great opportunity for us. So,
0: I get it. <laughs> and you're not the only one who did that. Right. There were a and lot of lot Hunter of Biden's not the only son of a famous government official who's done this, right, at all. But I just wonder, like, when you hear people say, well, it's kind of an open question about why they hired Hunter Biden, like, that's pretty disingenuous, no? Right.
2: Right. I think at the end of it, so when you look at the whole, there are people that maybe were, you know, sons or relatives or brother-in-laws of other high-ranking officials. But I think what we ran into and with with what Hunter ran into was like almost like an Icarus issue. So he got a little, it was too close to the sun. It was too good to be true. And the connections were were too close, and the scrutiny too much. Yes, and it ended up destroying. You know, he, it left the wake of a lot of dis, you know, a lot of destruction in business over a number of years. So, how many? Um, it's been reported, and you have said that there were
0: occasions when uh, Joe Biden would call in with clients present on a
2: speakerphone. Right. How how many times do you think that happened? I mean, over. A ten-year partnership. I would, you know, the number I'm going with is twenty. That's probably the 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 amount that I so kind of record. Yeah, a lot. You could say. So Joe
0: Biden, who is very much a product of Washington, of course, must have known that he was calling in to effectively a business meeting that his son was having. I mean, he must have understood that 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 was kind of what his son was selling. Well,
2: that's. I mean, it's hard for me to
0: speculate on that. <laughs> but like, I guess my question, just to keep it to the facts. Joe Biden, then the sitting vice
2: president, knew that there were Hunter's business associates in the room. Yeah, I think I can I can definitively say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates. And he, you know, we or if I was there, I was a business associate, too. Yeah. Um, so I think or, if you know, any of the other colleagues from the D.C. office or the New York office were there. So, yeah, at times there were from the, you know, to be, you know, completely clear on the calls I don't know if it was an orchestrated call in or not. It certainly was powerful, though, because, you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. I mean, that's 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 pretty impactful stuff for anyone. It's in the
0: a, It's uh, been reported and I, I know that it is true that the Hunter and his brother were very close to their dad. Absolutely. Um, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of kids. I'm very close to them. Talk to them every day. Yeah. Never called them on speaker during a business meeting. That's weird. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of kids. You're close to them. Do you call them on speaker during business meetings? Um, do I call? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is that? A grown man calling his dad on a speakerphone during a business right. meeting? Right. And to be
2: clear, sometimes it was the call was coming in and the speaker would go on. So it was. It's just the presence. You have to be. I mean, you're. You you understand DC, right? So the power to have that access in that conversation, and it's not in a scheduled conference call, and it's a part of your family, that's that's like the pinnacle of, uh, of power in D.C. A hundred percent. I guess I'm pivoting against
0: the lie that I'm hearing people tell with a straight face, Congressman Goldman, for example, that we don't really know what was going on. Really? You're taking a call from the vice president, and you put it on speaker. It's not just, hey, dad, I'm in a meeting with some buddies. Right. It's let me let me put my dad the first president on speaker.
2: Yeah. Yep. In the in the rear view, it's uh it's a it's an abuse of soft power, I'd say. An abuse of soft power. Um interesting. When did you meet Joe Biden? Joe Biden I met the first time probably at the 2000 convention. I think yep. it was in LA and then Boston was 2004. So those two times I probably shook hands as they made kind of the power circles around the, yeah. uh, you've been, you've been to them th- through the, through of the course. skyboxes. Um, and, uh, and then following that really when our, part, you know, our partnership started in 2008, 2009-ish um, conversation started, that's when I re-met Hunter and actually had a, you know, sit down and meal with him, talked about the transition from lobbying into strategic advisory and then kind of a, you know, some type of coalescence around having a private equity fund that would have this unique access and understanding of a regulatory environment in (laughs) DC. Again, to be clear. How many times do you think you met Joe Biden during the course of
0: your relationship with Hunter?
2: I should have this off the top of my head since I've been asked so many times. Uh, Probably same thing, 20. But we, we found this letter kind of amazing. It's from
0: January 20th, 2011, which I think puts you in your late 30s, mid, mid to right, late 30s. Right. Okay, so you're you're a younger man. This is from the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, to you personally, and it's personalized here at the bottom. Devin Archer, Rosemont Seneca Partners, that was your partnership with Hunter Biden in yes. Georgetown. Dear Devin, I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having trouble getting away from hosting President who? Who's, Who's yes. running China, at that point. I hope I get a chance to see you again soon with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed lunch. Thanks for coming. Sincerely, Joseph R. Biden Jr. P.S., handwritten, happy you guys are together. So there are many levels here. But here's the vice president of the United States saying to you, a man in his mid-30s, who's not a government official, I'm sorry I was occupied with the guy who runs the world's largest country, I would much rather talk to you and thank you. What was he thanking you for? Well,
2: uh, you know, it was, first of all, it's a lovely letter, and it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's quite enthusiastic. It's a little <laughs> weird, though, right? Yeah.
2: Well, it was. It, listen, it was. It was kind of the beginning of our partnership, and he was thanking me and thanking Hunter. I think at the end of the day for bringing this idea of this government regulatory strategic advisory business into the private equity world, and I think he was excited about the prospects for Hunter and. Um, you know, he was uh, just, just thanking me. I think it was a nice gesture.
1: Devin Archer is quite uh, charming. It's an, an endearing personality, which lends to his credibility, no doubt. And uh, it, it, but there are so many things that are wrong with this picture and the terms. This is the worst side of politics, because this is not why we elect people to run for office. I'm just ashamed. I'm, I'm ashamed at my, that we have been supporting this regime and regimes like it for far too long. We'll be back. We'll continue with this in a minute. Got a couple more clips from that interview to play. Nan coming up next. Stay tuned. You're listening to Speaking Out America. Thank you for coming back, Speaking Out America. This is Jim Watkins, and I am on with our resident senior investigative reporter by the name of Manan Su. And, of course, he is with the Epoch Times. Nan, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us on Speaking Out America. How are you?
3: Uh, Pretty good, Jim. So thank you for having me on your program again.
1: It's always a pleasure. So let's talk about this new travel ban being issued by our State Department warning American citizens not to go to China. Uh, This is something that we don't hear too often, but what's going on? What started this? Do you know?
3: Well, uh, China's uh, had a new anti espionage law became effective uh, at the beginning of July, and that's why the U.S. State Department issued a travel warning and warned the U.S. uh, citizens, uh, you know, try not to go to China, basically. It's, It's not that safe. Uh, because uh, China has been uh, well, even before uh, this law uh, became effective, they already arrested a bunch of people. Uh, back in March, uh, Chinese regime searched uh, several foreign corporations uh, that had uh, business operations in China. One pharmaceutical uh, company that's a Japanese company and. And also Mint Group, that's a U.S. financial consulting firm. And also Micron Technology, that's a U.S. tech firm. And in April, uh, Chinese regimes uh, conduct surge. Another, uh, another U.S. financial consulting corporation called Bain & Company. Uh, now... Uh, <clears throat> They don't really have any reason, you know, searching these companies. So they just say, "Hey, you know, uh, they have concerns." So they just search. They they even arrest several uh, employees of being a U.S. A financial uh, consulting firm of uh, Bain and Companies. So it's not just they're safe anymore to travel uh, in China. You could be arrested for any reasons.
1: I I know that a few years ago and it might have been part of this similar act where if you are an American and you write something negative about China on Facebook and then you go to China they can arrest you for that.
3: Well, it could be any reason literally uh, actually just uh, there's a one Taiwanese guy who was uh who just got out of China after four years stuck there. Uh, what happened is uh, he went to Shenzhen. Shenzhen is a city. It's a city that's in China, but right next to Hong Kong. So back in October of 2019, he went to Shenzhen. It's supposed to be a a, a quick business trip. He was just you know uh, go there. He was supposed to just go there, pick up something, um, uh, some document or some business things, and then then he was just going to leave. Now. Just happened. Besides his business, he is he he's also a photographer. He liked to you know shoot shoot photos. Yeah. So he was there long. 2019 was the year. Remember, you know, a whole year long Hong Kong protest Right. For democracy, anti extradition, and you know, there was a lot of uh, 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 police officers on the street of Shenzhen, You know, was gathering. Yeah, uh, he was kind of uh, out of curiosity. He shoot a couple photos right there. He was immediately arrested, mm-hmm. and he was sentenced for 22 months. Now, uh, after 22 months in jail, because uh, he was charged with some sort of a sub subversion against the Chinese government, <laughs> ridiculous charge. Yeah. but he stayed in jail for 22 months, and he got out in in July of 2021, but because the sentence also came with uh, two more years without political rights. So he couldn't leave China. He had to stay another two years and he just finally got out uh, last month. Now it was also very, it was just completely out of any sense, you know, when he, Left China last month, the Chinese authority made him promise that he couldn't who couldn't go home. He couldn't go back to Taiwan. Uh, and, you know, he has to first travel to Japan and stay there after Jeez. until after Taiwan's gen, next January presidential campaign, and then uh, you know he can go back to Taiwan. What the Chinese regime says, once you leave China, you're going to start you know, criticizing us. Ah, so I see. you can't go back to your home Taiwan because you're, whatever you say about us, it's going to affect the presidential election uh, of Taiwan. So you have to go to somewhere else to stay there until uh, until the uh, the Taiwan's uh, presidential election is passed. So he traveled to, Taiwan, uh, to Japan.
1: It seems to me that China is acting uh, maybe uh, insecure right now. Maybe they're worried about spying because they're up to things that uh, would make them nervous. And uh, I mean, we all know that they're prepping for war and maybe they're just locking down to make sure that there's not American spies being sent under the cover of of tourists. Is this also applied to those like large tourists, you know, like people come in droves on those tour buses and groups or is this just mainly for individuals or both?
3: Well, if you travel, you know, by a group, maybe, you know, uh, a little safer if you really watch out for each other. But yeah. however, the general uh, warning is not to go there. I mean, you got a lot of places to go. You can go to Taiwan, you know, yeah. uh, that you don't have to worry that much. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know what kind of... Uh, what do you do? You know, you just shoot a couple of photos. There you go. You're arrested. You know, yeah. as a traveler, and you know this is a common things you do daily, right? Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. What
3: do you, what, what, do, you, do you know? What kind of things you are shooting? You know, when you your your you, you know your camera is like taking the picture. Do you know what's behind it? Yeah. <laughs> the thing that you're taking the photos? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Got a minute or two here. Uh, tell me about this bioweapons lab that they discovered in California. You were just there recently. W- what's going on with this bioweapons lab in California?
3: Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's a bioweapon lab, but it, they it's a lab that's run by a Chinese corporation over there in the building supposedly owned by uh, China, another Chinese uh, corporation that's already out of business uh, now the the original business uh, was uh, uh, was a business that's selling bunch of a kitchen remodel material now they stopped the business with nobody there you know the business not in operation based on the you know uh, uh, the neighbors Across the street, I talked to actually just this past Sunday. The business already shut down, but they know there are somebody else, you know, basically still living, actually living inside the building. Mm-hmm. Now, last week, uh, Ridley—that's the name of the city of California. Their fire, uh, their fire marshal conducted a search, um, and also, and they also had some uh, had search in the you know, early. Uh, a uh, February. Now, what they found is found that you know the, the there are people there making some sort of a testing kit, like a pregnancy testing kit. Uh, and there they also discovered there were mice stored in the building, yeah, which is uh, right. definitely yeah. a violation of the building code and fire code. You yeah. know that you know it was supposed to for a build it's a building for retail not supposed to store those things
1: it seems like every week we find out that china is setting up shop they're going after their citizens over here they have police stations in new york and san francisco and but but so why are well, we so lenient why do we let I them mean, in why do we let them well, in
3: well there are so many things that the chinese origin has been conducted in the western world illegally that we don't know what they are doing, you know, we we just close our eyes. Still, I talk to a lot of American people, they're still thinking, oh, you know, China is not going to do anything. China is not going to invade Taiwan. China is not going to start a war against us. Why they should, they should have done that? You know, why? Give me the reason
1: nansu you've got a great documentary on the epic times website called the final war and i would ask people to go on the EpicTimes.com and check that out
3: all right thank you jim
1: nansu on speaking out america coming up more thoughts on the trump indictment when we continue kind of hear it in Nansu's voice, the same sort of frustration, and he would know because he's from China, and he's lived there, and he's been actually subjugated to the possible prison time just for showing up and visiting friends. I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about, and you can hear it in his voice, you know, here's a man who's working for the Epic Times, and he uh, travels around and tries to investigate his former countrymen's malfeasance as they integrate themselves i mean and, and we americans and in you know the most frustrating thing is here we are on a potential ideological war with a, a major superpower that wants to dominate the world forever because they feel it's their birthright and and, and they have a whole set of different moral equivocations and we in the west and just the pos- the mere possibility that our government and that the executive of our government has been compromised or in the least bit is naive after spending 50 years in, in Washington. You'd think that he would. I mean, I-, I used to not be a big fan of John McCain, uh, but I admired his tenacity and his courage and his sober thinking about who our enemies are and i'm talking about you know nan su from the epic times epic times who we were just talking to asking him the question why do we turn our heads why do we pretend that we're not at war with china when we are i mean i i told you earlier this week i'd come down with covid my wife and i for the past week you know and this is the omicron the the mild version and you know at the end of the day the reality hits you some of us at least you know this thing that's in my body was was created in a lab for the specific purpose of killing me and even though it's weakened and uh, you know we'll never get to the absolute bottom but this is a, a virus that came from China what's been done about it have they ever been made to pay the price? You think Joe Biden's going to go after them? You think any of the EU's going to go after them? It makes you wonder whose side we're on. And so what has essentially happened with this indictment from Jack Davis is that he, he's politicized dissent so that if you disagree with the narrative, in this case, the elections being overthrown or being fraudulent, Uh, then you are, you know, you're you're expressing your First Amendment right to question the system is now being um, determined uh, a crime. And this is what they're going after with with Trump. You know, he felt that he's seen enough evidence to show that there was clearly some tampering going on. And he wanted to make sure if I'm going to lose to this guy, Joe Biden, I want to make damn sure that i really did lose and now the entire left of the government the democrats the department of justice they see that he's ahead in the polls they see the crowds that are showing up for the trump rallies they're seeing him on tv they're seeing his popularity they're seeing his stamina they're seeing that he's just as much as you know in the ring to fight he is in my opinion much like Rocky Balboa and Rocky too, I hate to I hate to reduce it to such simple terms, but it literally is true. Only this time, the government is coming back, and they're not. They don't want to let this guy win. He can't win. You know, I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I compare it not on spiritual grounds, but on maybe moral or political grounds. I see a lot of com- uh, comparisons between this. And the final days of Christ. Before the Sanhedrin and the San, uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees nailed him to that cross. And if you think about the, the parallels, what is Trump doing? What is he trying to do? He's trying to show us that we don't need big government. That we can do things on our on our own. We don't need them to take care of everything because they don't take care of anything. In many ways they just simply exacerbate. Uh, There was a story I saw yesterday, crime up, uh, major cities, the migrants are now thinking of opening up Central Park and letting the migrants that they bust in, allowed in. Um, But you can't say anything. People in New York, they can't criticize. They won't say, oh, you know, our city's worse off than it was because that would mean that the man in charge is who they choose. They have to take responsibility for their actions. Same in San Francisco and Seattle, all these, 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 progressive cities, they don't want to admit that their cities are falling apart. Why? Because of their elected leaders. All they say is, well, we need more money. We just need more money. We need more federal money to help them. If we just had enough money, you know, in Germany, they're already struggling enough. And then they got this nimwit over there who's, who's a progressive. He says that rich people are too rich. They need to give up more to help us poor people. And this is a guy who makes $600,000 a year, Deputy Secretary of Energy. You know, our Secretary of Energy wants to change our light bulbs for us so we can all look pale instead of opening up the spigots and driving down the price of energy, which would be a boom for small businesses across the country. But I say bring it on because what happens is that this thing goes to court, which I'm surprised that there, there are not more legal minds saying this. Uh, but if Trump wanted to take this, he should. He could use this trial uh, and political grandstand his campaign all in one because he could call any witness he wants. He could call Mark Zuckerberg. He could call Jack Davis. He could call Ajit Pai. He could call Elon Musk to the stand reporters uh, from the Washington Post who conspired with the New York Times to suppress Hunter Biden laptop stories. He could, he could call to the stand all 51 of those intelligence officers who signed a letter saying that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. And I would love to see it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you see that would be the, tri- the trial of the millennia? And I think he should. I think he should turn the wheels on these guys and cut them loose. Take them to court. Let Trump show them that he had every reason in the world to believe that the fix was on. And he could do it. And he should do it. And he should drag every one of those sons of bitches to the witness stand and have them testify. What was your role in influencing this election? How many millions of dollars did you put into a campaign on Facebook to suppress free speech, Mr. Zuckerberg? Can you please tell us? Oh, it would be the trial of the century. And then throw every one of those bastards in jail. That's what I'd like to see. And I want to see it. I say, Trump, turn them loose, get your lawyers together. And start calling the witnesses, man. They're saying that you lied because you knew that the elections were legitimate. But Trump could very easily turn this around and say, let me show you why the elections were not legitimate. Let me call my first witness. And then bring on John Brennan. John, when did um, Merrick Garland or when did Anthony Blinken call you and discuss getting your signature on that letter denouncing the Hunter laptop story? You can call the next one. Call the next one. Call everybody up there. Ratcliffe, everyone. Now, that would be great TV. I hope it happens. And I think it will. I think once Trump realizes this is an opportunity to turn the wheels of justice against his accusers, then... We've got a trial on our hands, don't we? Hey, here's an interesting uh, subject. I'm very into archaeology and sociology. A new story coming out off of IFLScience.com. They found a jawbone of an ancient modern human. 300,000 years old. This is exactly against the out-of-Africa theory because the jawbone was found in China. Uh, it was not found in Africa for the last hundred years, ever since Louis Leakey found little Lucy there in the the bed of wherever it was, Zimbabwe, or I'm not sure where it was. Where, where was that? Anyway, they've always assumed that man emerged from Africa, but there's been new, and I think what's ended up happening because of the black security complex in America today is that the black um uh, influencers, social influencers want to be able to say that humanity came from Africa you know it's like a, a point of pride you know Africa was the one that Africa was the country that that spawned humanity and there's always been a debate because they find these old three million year bones in Africa but they don't see any modern bones and then now they're starting to find more and more caves Denevisan caves up in the Siberian areas that go back before the great exodus that they call. And then just recently they found this, what looks like to be a modern human jawbone 300,000 years ago. Not in Africa. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, It's always interesting to watch science squirm a little bit when they have to admit that they're wrong. Well, we now believe that the... the, uh, The Big Bang actually occurred 26 billion years ago. We just had to adjust our our equipment, and that's what they say. Well, listen, that's all I've got time for today. It's been an interesting program, and I look forward to doing it again tomorrow, because tomorrow, guess what? Yep, it's the weekend. Until then, thank you for stopping by. Jim Watkins speaking out America.
0: President Biden has mismanaged Congress. He's mismanaged COVID. He's mismanaged the border. American people may be poorer under President Biden, but they're not stupid. Uh, President Biden's approval rating ranks right up there with jockage
2: among American voters.